Well, uh, for anybody new, we teach in series, um, and we started a series at the beginning of the year, first Sunday in January. This is week five, or six actually, and we're going to finish up about better decisions, fewer regrets, and we said there's going to be five questions, so we're on question number five today, and we're going to call it the relationship question. So a quick review at the beginning. Uh, we said that to make better decisions, you need to ask better questions. Better questions lead to better decisions. Good questions, good decisions. Now, we all have a grid of questions we ask to make decisions. It may be simply, can I afford this? Uh, will I like this? Will I enjoy this? Will, no, will nobody find out? Um, so we all have questions. Hopefully, if you're a Jesus follower, and if you're not, we're glad you're watching or, or you're listening. Um, if you're a Jesus follower, hopefully part of the question was, is this something that God approves of or would bring honor to God? Now, it's not enough just to have a, a grid of questions. <laughs> you've got to use the questions, right? So we've been saying each week, you've got to first ask the question. Uh, just uh, don't proceed without asking questions. Answer the question honestly. And then even with the honest answer, you may not act upon it. You may choose to do something else. So important to ask the good questions, answer honestly, and then act upon your answer. A uh, big reason we're covering this topic is because none of us live alone. All of us are in relationships, even if we may be, quote, quote, single. We have family members, friends, etc. So you're not the only person affected or impacted by your decisions, are you? So if you want life to be better for your loved ones, spouse, kids, parents, whatever, co-workers, fellow church uh, folks, if I make better decisions, their lives are going to be better, and hopefully that's a desire you have. I certainly do. Now, we mentioned last week something really important, that a decision can be both. Two things can be both. Not wrong, but also not an unwise. I used this silly illustration in the first service. I told you I'd buy a new TV. Anyway, so my son Josh knows about these things more than I do, so I said, give me some recommendations. He gave me two. And one was like $600, one was like $1,000, same size TV, same brand TV. I said, so what's the difference? And his answer was, you probably won't be able to tell. So I'm thinking, okay, do I want to pay $400 more for a TV that I can't tell the difference? I'm sure it was a better TV. So my decision, wouldn't have been wrong to buy either decision, but my decision was to buy the one that cost less money uh, because I wouldn't tell the difference. So... Not wrong, but I thought that was the wiser way to spend my money. So a uh, foundational verse for this series, been one out of Proverbs, that says a prudent, a wise, a smart. We all like to be that type of people, right? We kind of look ahead, we foresee danger, we see uh, issues, and then we try and avoid them, take, take precautions. But a simpleton, a not a wise, very wise person, just kind of goes still full steam ahead, doesn't stop to think, doesn't ask questions, whatever. And consequently, they suffer. Now, none of us like to suffer, so we don't want to be the person that doesn't uh, think before we act, and so we can avoid some of that suffering. So today's topic is what we're going to call the relationship question. Now, with all these questions, the, the challenge is we often, or almost all the time, know the answer before, or as soon as we ask it right? The wise thing to do. Now, I had to find a little bit more information about the TVs, but when I did the wise, it was pretty easy for me to decide what the wise thing would do. You know, what's the story I want to tell? Well, that's pretty easy to figure out, right? Uh, 
Um, so we usually know the answer. I don't always do it, but we usually know the answer pretty quickly. <clears throat> but this question is a little bit more, more difficult. This question, there's going to be some pushback from, from all of us, I think, some resistance. Because this question is going to require the most out of all of us. And so, we're going to have some pushback. So, I'll warn you that ahead of time. <clears throat> now, it's important to understand or realize that what we refuse to know can hurt us. What we refuse to know can hurt us. So, lack of information can hurt us. But more importantly than even hurting us is obviously hurt those people around us. So hopefully we desire to have the information we desire to know so we and others will not, won't be hurt. <clears throat> now, when we think of the end of our lives, none of us envision us dying alone or dying with no friends, even though if you're a single person. Uh, none of us envision uh, live, uh, finishing our lives alone. But if you're a single person and desire to be in a relationship with a significant other. There's some advice I heard a long time ago which goes something like this. <clears throat> Become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Get that? Now who are you looking for if you're a single person or when I was single? What was I looking for? I was looking for an amazing person, right? I wanted somebody who was beautiful, uh, inside and out. I was a Jesus follower, so I was looking for somebody who was a Jesus follower, somebody who was intelligent, somebody who was fun. You know, just that same amazing person, just like you, right? And hopefully you found them, just like I did. My wife fits all those categories. <clears throat> so, if you are looking for a person still, if you're in that category, and I've got grandchildren getting, coming up into that age bracket, um, be the person you're looking for. So this question, let me give you uh, some, some help with this. This question will help you be that person. This question will help you become or be the amazing person that you're looking for that other people are looking for. This question will increase, I put this on your outline, your amazing quotient, if you will. And not just for that significant other, but all your relationships with your siblings, with your spouse, uh, with your children, uh, with co-workers, and whatever. Uh, I'm going to put three letters on the, on the board. First service is a little slow. Who knows what those letters stand for? What does it stand for? Yeah. Return on investment. All right? And people that are in the business world mostly know that. And most of us have money sitting somewhere that we hope we're getting of course, the bank doesn't pay much of anything anymore, but a return on your investment. Now, these first four questions almost immediately, but definitely eventually are going to show a return on your investment. When you have a good story to tell, that's a good return on your investment. When you make a wise decision, a good return on your investment. Um, <clears throat> but today's question, let me just kind of warn you up ahead of time. There's no guarantee that there's going to be, quote unquote, a good return on your investment. It doesn't guarantee a good outcome. Again, a very important question, big question, question if we don't use any of the other questions that I, I, I would hope that you would use, but it does not guarantee return on your investment. Now one pushback on this question is this. This question is demanding, 
more demanding than any other question. This is so demanding, it's demanding every moment, waking moment. This is a question you can ask any minute of any day, all right? And so that makes it really demanding, and so consequently it becomes, uh, I don't say a burden, but uh, it just becomes demanding. Now, if other people's lives that we're related to or connected to, if their lives are better, most of the time, not always, but most of the time, then our lives are going to be better. So we're going to look at something Jesus said, something Jesus taught. Now, when Jesus was teaching, he would keep talking about something new. He's going to be something new, something something new. And we all like new things. And so that got people's attention. <clears throat> and so we're going to skip to the last, the last week of Jesus' life, actually the last night of his life. But that last week of his life, he comes into Jerusalem and with hallelujahs from the crowds and from the people. So I put on your outline, Jesus got people's attention with his miracles, with his teachings, etc. But they didn't understand his intention. They didn't understand this new. In fact, the 12 disciples, they didn't get it. <clears throat> the 12 disciples thought, what was going to be new? This new kingdom he's talking about. Well, he, they thought an earthly kingdom. And we can't blame them. I mean, they were slaves to the Romans. Who'd want to live that way? So, Jesus is going to have a new kingdom. Not only will he get rid of the Romans, but if Jesus is the king and we're his closest 12 followers, guess what we become? We become the people just under the king. We become important. We become powerful. We become famous. So Jesus, in the midst of his talking to them on his last night of his life, <clears throat> something he has said before, he repeats. He says, guys, I'm going to be leaving. Now, again, Wait a minute, wait a minute. What about this new kingdom? You can't be leaving. If you're leaving, what's going to happen? There's going to be no new kingdom. <clears throat> so what he said had seemed to have little impact. And sometimes it has little impact on us because this is not anything that most of you haven't heard before. But ultimately, this will be the center of Jesus' uh, calling, Jesus' ministry. This will be the center of Jesus' followers, should be the center of our lives. Now, when we read these words, you, you might have this reaction, well, I want something deeper. I want something deeper. More, you know, this is just kind of something I've always heard. Uh, ultimately, what we're going to talk about, uh, you're never going to find anything Deeper. You're never going to find anything more demanding. As I said, it's demanding every woken, woken moment. So there's not going to be anything deeper. There's nothing, anything that's going to have more potential to change your lives, your life, and the lives of people around you. There's not going to be anything that's going to um, help you make wise decisions more than this. <clears throat> So I want you to imagine, for those of you who've been around church for a while, that this is the first time you're hearing it. You're sitting there with those 12 disciples that last night of Jesus' life, and you hear him say this to you. First he says, I'm leaving. So that's kind of got your mind spinning. And then he says this, a new commandment I give you. Now who can make commandments? Who's the only person who can make commandments? God, right? 
Okay, so he's saying right there, and then, I'm God, because I'm making commandments. Now, earlier he had changed the, the Jews had over 600 commandments. <laughs> and uh, earlier in his ministry, he said, okay, he was asked, what's the most important? He said, well, just two, love God and love others, right? So the problem is when he said there's just two, that we don't tend to think that there's just two. We think he's just added two. So now he's going to add another one, but no, 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 he's not adding. He's replacing. Right? So he's going to give us a commandment that takes care of all the commandments. That's pretty cool, right? I don't have to remember 600. I just have to remember one. So he goes, new command I give to you, love one another. Wait, wait a minute, Jesus. <laughs> this isn't new. This is in our Bible. Their Bible would have been our Old Testament. It's in there. Uh, this isn't anything new. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> now, Jesus wasn't commanding us to feel something or even believe something. What he's actually commanding us to, is to do something. So, what he says next, after I love one another, is going to be almost unthinkable, especially when you think of the ramifications for Jesus but also ramifications for us. So what's he saying? As I have loved you, so you must, no options, love one another. So if you're going to be uh, one of my followers, this is the overarching command of my, my, my church, uh, what I'm creating, what I'm starting. You are to love, must love one another. So this is a little disturbing, if you will, because what is Jesus doing? He's establishing himself as their standard or the criteria for love, or how you and I are to judge love, right? Now, this is love month, right? Valentine's Day. And there's so, so much confusion about love because, you know, you can love pizza, you can love sports, you can love your dog, you can love your spouse, you know, you can love... The mountains, you can just love other, lots of things. So here, Jesus is establishing himself as the standard for love. So we want to know what love looks like. We need to look at Jesus. Now, if you're one of the disciples sitting there, what are you thinking? All right, just as you've loved me, all right. Let's use Matthew, for example. Matthew. What were you doing when I met you? Well, I was a tax collector. You know, I was selling out my, my neighbors, my fellow Jews to the Romans, and I'm getting rich in the process. Everybody hates me except for the other tax collectors, so I do have a few friends. And so, how did I treat you, Matthew? Not like other people. You treated me with respect. In fact, you invited me to join your movement. Me, a tax collector, a traitor to my country. And then I invited you to my house and you came and you didn't condemn me and my, my, my friends, my co-workers or anything. So you treated me with grace and unconditional love. Okay, so now I have a standard, right? <laughs> this is the way I'm supposed to treat people like you, Jesus, treated me. So I have no excuse for not treating other people with unconditional love and with mercy 
and grace. I have no excuse. You've shown that to me. But I can imagine Jesus... Now, you have to realize that cross, the crucifixion, hadn't happened yet. Jesus said, the standard is how I've treated you up till now. We think about it because we know after the fact. But they're saying, okay, up to now, this is what you've done to me, Matthew is saying. Uh, Jesus, this is the way you've treated me. But I can imagine Jesus saying this. Well, you think that's great? You haven't seen anything yet. Next 24 hours, you're going to see something completely different, something radical. You're going to see me, God's son, give my life away for you. You're going to see me treated with so much disrespect, spit on, crown of thorns. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be whipped to the close to the point of death. See, the purpose of scourging wasn't to kill you. It was to cause as much pain as possible and just get you to the thresh of dying. And then after that, I'm going to have to carry my cross, and then they're going to nail my hands and feet, and I'm going to be crucified. Three days later, raised from the dead, and this is going to change the world. But Jesus wasn't finished then. He said, okay, this is going to be the criteria for your love. But then he said something really, really important. You and I, they're Jesus followers. By this, by what? This kind of love. Everyone will know that you're my disciples. Do you want people to know you're my disciples? Okay, it's not because you came to church this morning or watching online this morning. Maybe most people don't carry Bibles around anymore. Maybe that you're going to go help at, at the reach shelter. That's not the way, even though it does show this, it may help. The way that people will know, everybody will know that you are one of my followers is if you love one another like I love you. This is going to be a proof. And so some of the complaints for people outside the churches, the people in the churches fight and bicker about stuff, and that does happen sometime. We're all human. But he said the proof is going to be your unconditional love, which results in unity, right? If I'm not judgmental of you, I'm going to love you no matter what. So another way of saying this, this is to be our governing ethic. This is going to be the overarching ethic to the way we treat people and the way we act and the way we make decisions. This is the way we are going to measure our behavior is by this ethic. Another way of saying is this. <clears throat> Jesus' followers would demonstrate their devotion to God. How do we demonstrate our devotion to God? One way is coming to church, obviously, worshiping together. But by putting the person next to them in front of them. That's what he's saying, right? Love as I have loved you. Because Jesus put us before himself, didn't he? Now, the, the other thing that, one more verse and then we'll, we'll move on. All right, so Jesus said, I'm leaving. Then he gave him, tell him, this is the most important thing you need to remember. This is what I want you to remember. This is what I want you to act on because I'm leaving. But if you're the disciples, what are you thinking? What are you, what are you focused on? Are you focused on what he just said? No. And Simon, Peter, is usually the one, first one to speak up. What's he say? Uh, well, Jesus, you know, that's all good and fine, but uh, where are you going? Uh, you're leaving? How long are you going to be gone? You coming back pretty soon? Now, the amazing thing is, in this love, in this commandment, 
what does Jesus use as his authority to give his commandment? We already said only God can give commandments. So as he fall back on the thing, it's like parents, you know, with your kids. Uh, I'm the parent, you're the kid, you got to do what I say. Jesus could have done that. I'm God, you're not, you need to do what I say. Is that the basis that Jesus used for his authority to make this commandment? And the answer is no. He could have, but he didn't. In fact, it's even more amazing when you look at, the, at his basis of his authority to be able to say and do this. And so I'm going to read a couple of verses from something Paul wrote um, <clears throat> explaining what Jesus' authority was in this case. Now, he starts by saying, you and I must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now, the great thing about attitude is you and I get to choose our attitude. We can't choose what happened to us. We can't c- control what other people say and do. But we can choose our attitude. And he's saying, this is what you've got to choose. Same attitude. Well, what was the attitude of Christ Jesus? Was it, I'm God, you're not, you need to listen to me? No, no, no. So amazing, so amazing. Text goes on. Though he was God, Paul's writing this, he, God, didn't, Jesus, did not think of equality with God, he was God, equal with God, as something to be used for his own advantage. Again, I'm God, you're not, you need to listen to me. He didn't do that. What did he do? Instead, Scripture says, instead, instead what? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave who was born a human being. Now, we can't comprehend this. We have no comprehension what it means to be God. But whatever that is, he limited all of that, you know, 99% of that, you know, probably even bigger than that, to become human. Can you imagine limiting yourself to become human if you're God? Can't imagine. Can't figure it out. Can't understand it. But not just a human. You know, he could have been a human king, but he described himself as a slave, the lowest of humans. And the text goes on. He says, when he appeared in human form, He humbled himself, all right, not just to be a human, not just to be a slave of a human, but to be what? In obedience to God, which meant what? Die a criminal's death on the cross. Again, beyond our comprehension, to go from God to dying a criminal's death on the cross. So this is what Jesus used to inspire people, inspire you, inspire you and I. Not that he's God and we need to listen to him. It's because he was willing to do this. He was willing to demonstrate this kind of love for us. So back to, back to his command. <clears throat> a new commandment I give you. What's new about it? Because it's, I'm the basis of it. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. We call it sacrificial love. Sacrificial love, unselfish love. I always use the definition what's best for the other person. So if I'm loving you, I'm going to do what's best for you. It has nothing to do with what's best for me. It's exactly what Jesus did. Now, so this is so much more demanding than what's the wise thing to do? <laughs> or what's the story I want to tell? See, this commandment has no loopholes. Most of the other commandments we can get around, right? We make excuses. We have loopholes. Uh, 
The Pharisees in Jesus' day uh, were really experts at doing that. And we all, we all can do it. But you can't get around this one. There's no loopholes. So what is the relationship question? It's simply this. What does love require of me? What does this kind of love, you know, not some other definition of love, but what does this kind of love require of me? If you want to have healthy relationships, I pray that you do, I certainly do. If you want to have healthy relationships, this is what you need to do. This is what required of you. In fact, if you um, have one of those dilemmas where I get asked questions as a pastor, of course, and I, I can't quote a Bible verse for the answer. Well, uh, pastor, should I get drunk? No. We just covered that verse last week, right? But I get questions now like, um, is it okay to smoke, smoke marijuana? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, can't find a thou shalt not in here about that one. <laughs> All right. So what are you going to use? What are you going to use for judgment? <clears throat> so I put on your outline. When you're not sure what to do, ask this question. When you don't have a Bible to back up, Ask yourself this question. What does love require of me or you in this situation? What's not what's best for me, what's best for you? Now, I don't know about your reaction to all this, but this is kind of mine. I don't know if I can live up to that. In fact, I know I can't live up to that. And if that's your reaction, if that's your pushback, then maybe you're beginning to understand exactly what it is because you and I can't. But what does it look like? I always like, oh, what does that look like? Well, Jesus died on a cross. What does it look like for me? And so I'm going to use two texts that, that um, Paul wrote to kind of, get, kind of put some flesh and bones on this kind of love. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit or love in our lives. Now, it's singular fruit. So we're supposed to have demonstrate all this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, okay, <laughs> loving my wife. How am I supposed to love my wife? With patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Phew. Boy, I blew that one a few times. Um, but the amazing thing is then he says there's no, no law against this. You don't need to have any other laws. If I just love my wife that way, we don't have, any have to have any laws in our relationship, do we? Now, the gold standard, if you will, is 1 Corinthians 13. Paul wrote this also. Includes some of the same components, but adds some things on to it. If you and I want to know what it looks like. So it's patient, kind. We already had those two words. Then he adds some components. Does not envy. Now, when somebody tells me, like, now that they're going to fly off to Florida, I have to say to them, I say it out loud, I'll try not to envy you. I mean, it's 17 degrees this morning, and the Hoovers are in Florida right now, and Becky texted my wife and said it was like 70 degrees. And so it's really hard sometimes not to envy people, but I'm just happy they get to go. I'm happy that they're experiencing that. Uh, it does not boast. It does not proud. It's tough ones. Text goes on. It just builds. Does, this, does not dishonor others? Is not self-seeking or self-centered or selfish? Ah, boy, I don't, can't always do that one. Not easily angered. I, I just use the word 
frustrated in fit of anger. But I said, there's really no difference. Keeps no record of wrong. Boy, that's a tough one, especially if you're married. How difficult is it to say, oh, remember when you did this or said that? No, 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 no record. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Basically unselfish, right? Put this on your outline. I thought it was important, important, important to point out. Love always worked to protect the relationship, right? It always works to protect the relationship. You and I do all those things, it will protect. We will have healthy relationship. And one more verse. Love never gives up. All-inclusive words. Never, always. <laughs> Love never gives up. Never loses faith. Always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. <clears throat> now, simple question. Don't you hope you are the recipient of that kind of love? I certainly am. If I hope to receive it, I certainly ought to give it. So before you and I react, let's ask ourselves this question. What in this circumstance, this situation, no matter what I'm feeling, what does this type of love require of me? Same, another simpler question is, what does Jesus require of me? It may require you to, to walk in another room and apologize to somebody and ask them to forgive you. Can't do it in person, maybe on, on, uh, text them or email them or even write them a snail mail letter apologizing, asking for forgiveness. It really simplifies a lot, doesn't it? Because we have all kinds of pushbacks, we have all kinds of loopholes. <laughs> Simple. In fact, Jesus said this was enough. He said, this is the only commandment you need. This is enough. So this series has been about good, good questions. So good questions lead to better decisions. And ultimately, our decisions determine what? The direction and quality of our lives. I like to think, determine the story I get to tell or other people get to tell about me. So, next up, I'm going to just go through the five questions and hopefully, if not all, at least one of these questions you will put or add to your grid. And I would encourage you at least to put the last one in. So, the integrity question, am I being honest with myself really? Because it's easy to deceive ourselves. So, am I really seeing things clearly? Legacy question. What story do I want to tell? Now, let me ask you a question. Don't you want to be the hero to your story? You don't want to be the goat in the story, right? None of us do. So we want to tell a story where we're the hero. Conscience question. Is there a tension that deserves my attention? Is there something, you know, red flag that I'm trying to ignore? No, we'll pay attention. Maturity question last week. What is the wise thing to do? Thinking about our past, our present, our future. What? is literally the wise thing to do. Wise decision, better uh, decisions, less regrets. And the, today's the relationship question. What does love, unconditional, Jesus' love, require of me in this situation? I pray this has been helpful to you. We've finished up the series. We'll start something new next week. Hopefully you can join us. Let me pray with you. Father God, thank you. Wow. 
What a simple but impossible commandment. We need your wisdom. We need your strength to do this because we are selfish, self-centered people. Uh, we love to receive this kind of love, but man, it's tough to give it. So we ask for your help. And we pray for anyone out there that's never experienced this kind of love from you, God. They've never accepted your gift of unconditional love and forgiveness. It requires a belief and acceptance of the gift, a confession of our sins, and acceptance of forgiveness. So we pray that if you're one of those people, that today would be the day. There's nothing like experiencing unconditional love. It'll transform your life. Receive God's forgiveness. Most of us are Jesus followers. Most of us know this. We've known this a lot, a lot of us a long time. But it's such a struggle sometimes to do it. So we pray for renewed strength, renewed courage to love others as you love us. And God, some folks here are probably in some, some struggle in some relationship. And if maybe it's not completely healthy, we pray this would be able to be added to that and to bring health and strength to that relationship. All this is for your honor and glory, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.